Thank you for tuning into the City Church California podcast. We exist for anyone to believe in God, to become who God created them to be, and to build the church and our city. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast so that you can be updated anytime we add new content. Now let's check out the latest message from our Sunday gathering. began a series yes or sorry yesterday last week entitled I am didn't pastor michael do an incredible job he did great so I am is, is this incredible statement. God introduces the, the, the name, uh, his name, I am, in Exodus chapter three to his servant Moses. And then across the gospel of John, we see that G, uh, John records that Jesus made seven I am statements. And the reason that God introduced himself as I am is because he wants to be known personally. And God does not leave up to chance uh, how people perceive him or how people would define him. God took it upon himself. He says, I will define myself. I will tell you who I am, my works, my characters, my attributes. I want to be known. And that's what I am answers. The question that every one of us have wrestled with, who is God? What does, what is he like? What does he do? And so I want you to turn to two passages this morning. We're going to start with Exodus chapter three. Get your thumb on Exodus chapter three. Hey, do you have a Bible here with you this morning? Hopefully you have a Bible. You can pull out your, 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 your paper and leather Bible if you want, or you can grab your phone. Uh, we want everybody reading the Bible because what would it be if we came and heard great stuff, but we never learned how to read the Bible for ourselves, right? So Exodus chapter three, and then the other passage we'll be in today is John chapter 14. And so we're gonna read out of Exodus chapter three, and then I'm gonna ask you to move over to John chapter 14, and then that's where we'll stay the rest of our time together. We pick up here where, where God is speaking to Moses, and this is what he says in verse nine. He says, look, the cry of the people of Israel has reached me, and I've seen how harshly the Egyptians abuse them. Now go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people, Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses protested to God. He says, who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? And God answered, I will be with you. You know, he didn't answer Moses's question. <laughs> Anytime God doesn't answer somebody's questions because you ask the wrong question, right? He says, who am I to lead these people out of Egypt? And God says, here's your answer. I'll be with you. And this is your sign that I am the one who has sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God at this very mountain. But Moses protested again. He says, if I go to the people of Israel and I tell them that the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they will ask me, what is his name? Then what should I tell them? And God replies to Moses, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel that I am has sent me to you. Now, just to bring you into the context a little bit, Pastor Michael did this last week, but the Israelites have now been enslaved in Egypt for 400 years. They are generationally, this is all that they know now, but God says, no more, I wanna liberate my people. I wanna set them free. And he chose Moses as his instrument to go and set the people free. And so we saw this conversation take place, right? Moses says, who am I to be sent? And God said, it really doesn't matter who you are because who I am is really what matters and I'm gonna be with you. And Moses protests again, but then what do I tell them your name is? Who, what if they ask me who sent me? He says, then tell them that I am has sent you. Man, this is the first time we see God introduce himself as I am, because this is wild. This is God's personal invitation to know him 
intimately. You know, God is not just an energy. He's not just ethereal. He's not just out there. He's a person who wants to be known, who longs to be known, has made himself known through Jesus. He is, I am. But the other amazing thing about this title that God gives himself, that he is, I am, this is not a noun. This is not a person, place, or thing. This is actually speaks of who he is in his nature and the way he works. I am is a verb in the perfect, and it's, and it's a continuous tense meaning. It's an action that has begun, but it has not come to its end. It is still in action. One of the greatest translations of I am is this, I will be what I will be. In other words, whatever you need, wherever you need it, and whenever you need it, that's what I will be for you. And what an amazing way for God to introduce himself to Moses and the people of Israel, because as they would go through the desert over the next 40 years, they would need a lot of different things. They would need water, and suddenly God would show up and be the water that they needed. They needed food, God would show up and be the food that they needed. They needed shade, God would show up and be the cloud that they needed. They needed light, God would show up and be the fire that they needed. They needed protection. God would show up and be the protection that they needed. God was showing them, I'm gonna take you on a journey and you're gonna need many different things, but along the way you will see, I will be whatever it is that you need to be all along the way. I am, I am, I will be what I will be. And God is the same yesterday, today and forever. And he, if he was whatever they needed back then, he will be whatever you and I need right here, right now. He is, I am. Now Jesus steps up in John and he says this seven different times and he brings it a little bit of a different context every time. And we're gonna to look today at John chapter 14, verses one through six. So go ahead and go there in your Bible. You can get comfortable because that's where we're gonna be the rest of the day. Verse six, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father, but through me. I'm gonna read that again. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Everyone say, I am. Amen. All right, we're gonna do this this morning because it was spring forward. I'm just gonna get you to stretch your hands towards me real quick. I think everyone's spirits are connected, but it's time to remind our souls and our bodies that we are also connected today as well. So would you repeat after me today? today. I'm not just a consumer. I'm, consumer. I'm a contributor. I'm contributor. As, I receive, As I receive, I pour out. Amen, you can put your hands down. What does that mean? That means today you're not just here to get something, you're here to give something to the atmosphere as well. Man, I hope City Church is a church that doesn't just show up saying, come on, give me something, give me something. We all have something to bring to the house of the Lord, some element of faith, some element of expectation. You'd, get, you'd never know what I see when I get up here. I'll get up here, I'll be looking out and people looking at me like this, like entertain me, fool. Listen, that's not why I'm here. I'm here to bring the word of God and you can join me with your faith this morning. And so if you like God's word, lean into it, lean into it, amen. I'm talking to you at home too. He's the way, the truth, and the life. Years ago, my wife and I went on a trip and uh, we were living in Florida at the time. She comes from Pennsylvania. I come from upstate New York. And so we decided to take a trip to go see all of our family, show Addison, she was our only child at the time, where we came from. And so we take this trip up to Pennsylvania, spend about a week with her family. I love her family, but I'm not going there for a week again. Uh, then, we went to, then we went to my family's up in New York. I love my family, but I'm not going there for a week again. <laughs> this is a two week trip. And how many of you know, no matter how good the trip is, around day nine, 10 or 11, you're like, it's time to get home. I, I like being away. I like doing all this stuff, sleeping on my second aunt's couch, you know, all that kind of stuff. Like that's a lot of fun. 
but I just, I want to get home. Like this, 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 I just, I long to get, anybody ever felt like that before? It's like, man, this is a great trip, but it's time to, time to get home. So here we are, we take out, we, we fly out of this small airport in upstate New York, and we're going to connect in Charlotte before we reach our final destination in Florida. And we get on this plane and it's a little plane. Anybody ever discouraged when you get on a little plane? There's two seats and then an aisle. So there's this lady I don't know, and then me, and then there's this aisle, and then Keola, and then Addison, who's only four, about maybe five at the time. And uh, we're getting ready to take off. And Keola is a little skittish when she flies. Now she's like, oh no, it's a little plane. We're gonna feel every bump. And I was like, it's gonna be fine, we're fine. And so we take off and we're flying and it's a pretty good flight. But before we took off, I look over to introduce myself to this lady, because that's who I am on a plane. I know you don't like that, but I just so I am on a plane. I said, hey man, my name is Steve. I'm gonna be your partner today. You know, like one of these things. And, she like, she won't, she barely looks at me out of the corner of her eye because she's got her bottle of water. She hasn't even put her purse down and she's, she's like this, she's like, hey, how you doing? And she's like, she's like deep breathing. I'm like, this is not gonna be a good flight. And I said, hey, uh, are you all right? She goes, I, I'm just a nervous flyer. I hate flying. I don't wanna fly. And I said, it's going to be fine today. You don't know this, but I am God's favorite. And so you're in good company today. Nothing's gonna happen. And, uh, and so we're flying and it's, and it's you know, a couple little bumps along the way. And, uh, and then it, there, was like, there was like a big bump, right? It was almost like we hit something. It was like, okay, what's going on here? And then as I remember it, it was, it, this is like in slow motion in my mind now, the plane just like drops, I mean, dramatically. It felt like thousands of feet and it's like, and, and, and so this lady, I hear her scream. I see drinks fly up in the air. The stewardess that was walking this way, her feet go above her head. It was bad. Her feet go above her head. Somebody behind me, I kid you not, goes, okay. And I thought, is little John on this plane? Why is he not in first class? Why is he behind me? I turned around, it was just, just an older white guy. I thought, you could have had a future in the industry, sir. You could have made it. You gave up on your dreams too early. And I look over, Keola is white as a ghost. And Addison goes, that was fun. Let's do that again. But, I, but we all kind of settled down. I mean, it was, it was not a fun, it was not a fun bump and, uh, cause it was like a, a, a horrible fall. But I look over and this lady has a death grip on my arm. She is gripping. And I was like, I didn't want to disturb her cause she's trying to recover from this moment. But like three minutes goes by and she's still gripped onto my arm. And uh, I looked over, I just, I patted her hand. I said, are you okay? And she goes, oh, I'm so sorry. I was, I was so nervous. Her hand mark was on my arm the rest of the time. It was that bad. We got to the airport and Keola says, I will not get on the next plane. It's not happening. We're moving to North Carolina. I'm sending my mom to bring our stuff. I cannot get back on this plane. I said, babe, we gotta get on the plane. We need to get home. We have stuff to do. She goes, I'm not getting back on the plane. I said, it's the only way we're going home. She goes, we can drive. I said, I will not be driving. This is the only way. We're getting back on the plane. We're getting back on the plane. We're gonna be okay. She said, I just wanna be home. I don't wanna go through this again. I just wanna be home. Last year we flew to Florida. And uh, we were there for a wedding and we're flying out of Miami, going all the way to LAX. We're already like, ah, oh, it's a long trip with kids going over the Gulf. We start hitting some bumps on our way up through the, through the, uh, through, across the, the, the Gulf. And the pilot comes on and he goes, you know, everyone, I'm a little sorry about the, uh, about the, about the air. And we're flying over a tropical storm. And Keola leans up to me because I'm sitting in front of her. She's right behind me now. And she goes, if I had known about this storm, we would have never got on this plane. <laughs> 
I said, it's gonna be fine. We hit a few more bumps. And all of a sudden I feel this arm come up between the seats and grip onto my shoulder. And it's squeezing tighter. Every bump, it gets a little bit tighter. And I see, it, it's, it's, she's, she's leaning, she's praying in tongues behind me. I was like, what's going on? She's squeezing my shoulder. I said, it's gonna be all right. And I said, after a while, I said, honey, I'm so sorry you're not feeling good, but like, I'm starting to lose feeling in my shoulder. And she said, you're just gonna have to toughen up because my arm ain't leaving. The pilot gets on and says, hey, we've been trying to go around this. We've been trying to go above it. We've been trying to go below it. We've tried all the different altitudes. It's just gonna be bumpy for a while. We gotta go through this. And the whole plane kind of goes, oh, you know, one of these things. Have you ever been in a moment where turbulence just kind of hits you out of nowhere in your life and something happens and you're like, wow, I did not see that coming, but here we are. Or maybe has anybody ever told you like, hey, this is coming, you get a diagnosis or you recognize that something's coming down the pipe or you can see the writing on the wall that your work is, is maybe coming to an end or we can see that a pandemic is not ending as soon as we wanted to or your marriage just doesn't seem to be progressing the way you want and you project and you can see and you can feel that things really aren't the way you want them to be. And you begin to wonder when is all this going to be over? I just, I wanna to get to the other side of this. Can we get back to a moment where there was peace? Can we get back to a moment where there was smooth sailing? When am I gonna get home? Cause you know, home really represents more than a building, right? It's the place where you finally exhale. It's the place where you finally rest and go, that was a long trip and I'm glad to be home. It's that place where you can finally just be yourself. Really it's the place where you know that you're gonna have the most intimate of relationships where you really can just breathe and rest again. What do you do when you're there and you don't know how long it's gonna go when you've tried to go around it, you've tried to avoid it, you've tried to, you've tried to find another way, but yet you just realize this is just something that I need to go through. John chapter 14, verse six, when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth and the life, no one comes to the father, but through me. He is not just making this statement in a vacuum. He's actually replying and responding to the fears, concerns, and anxieties of his disciples. Because in John chapter 14, verse one, it's the continuation of what we would know as Jesus's farewell speech to his people. He just had the last supper with his greatest, most closest companions in the world where he began to tell them, hey, somebody actually in our friend group in this circle is gonna betray me. And because of that betrayal, I'm gonna be arrested. And then somebody who I know love and love is gonna deny even knowing me. Shortly after that, I will be crucified and I will be killed and I will be apart from you for a while. And as this speech goes on and on, you can feel the tension and you can feel the worry. You can feel the concern of those who have given their life to follow Jesus. And they're wondering, they've even said, Jesus, there has to be another way. And Jesus would rebuke him saying, no, this is the only way. This is going to happen. I'm not trying to pull any punches here. I want you to be aware that there's going to be some trouble. There's going to be some turbulence. There's going to be some storms. And this is gonna get uncomfortable and this is gonna be challenging and this is, this is going to cause you to reach deep down and find out what's really in you. I'm not trying to be, dissuade you. I'm telling you, this is going to happen. Yet Jesus in this moment in chapter 14 begins to speak life and encouragement to them, even in the midst of what they know will be a challenge. Verse one says this, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. If you got your Bible, look right there at verse one. It says, let not your hearts be troubled about all of this that you're facing. Believe in God, believe also in me. That word trouble doesn't just mean disappointed or sad. 
It means to be disturbed, like if you threw water into a calm water and all of a sudden there was ripples and waves. It means to be thrown into confusion. Have your heart or mind ever been thrown into confusion? Something hits you, you're walking through something and man, yesterday everything was normal and then here I am today, I can't figure out which way is up, which way is down. I thought this was right and now I'm here and it's, it's, it's like this turmoil, this disturbing. He says, let not your hearts be thrown into confusion. How? Tell me how, Jesus. I'm glad you asked. This is how. Believe in God, believe also in me. This isn't just a confession of belief. This is literally an agreement with your soul, body, and spirit to believe on the person of God, to believe on the person of Jesus. It literally means spend your time thinking and considering God, not your troubles. Because the reason we get so worked up, the reason our hearts and our minds get thrown into confusion is because we give our time, we give our thoughts, we give our emotions, we give our considerations to all of these earthly things, and we believe on earthly things to be the solution to things that they can never actually solve. And then we wonder why we're so worked up and so discouraged because we've given ourselves to the, to the confusion of this world when God says, lift your eyes off of these earthly things and place them on God. Consider who God is. Consider who Jesus is. Put your thoughts and your affection and your attention there. Okay, I agree, Jesus, I'll do it, but how? He keeps going. He says, for example, I know you're, you're, you're disappointed that I'm gonna be betrayed and that I'm gonna be crucified and that we're gonna be apart for a while, but don't let your heart be troubled. Don't be thrown into confusion over that. I told you this was coming. Instead, do this. Fix your eyes on the destination. Verse two, because see, in my father's house, there are many rooms. And if it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and I prepare a place for you, I will come again. And I will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going, Thomas said to him. Then Thomas replied, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And then Jesus replied, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Can I just make a confession? I love Thomas. I know he gets a bad rap. He's the doubter. He's the skeptic. He's the guy that says, prove it to me and then I'll believe. The thing I love about Thomas is that he's just not gonna smile and nod along pretending like he knows what's going on when he really doesn't. He's like, no, 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 I need answers. I would like you to explain this one to me. You know, I have, I have you know, multiple kids. I have four kids. Three of them, I love to tell jokes to. I'm fully in dad joke mode. I'm not funny anymore, only to kids. Like that's where my humor goes. I love to tell them jokes and uh, most of my kids will just laugh no matter what. I can tell they don't understand it, but they're laughing anyways. I have one that refuses to play that game though and I love them for it. So the other day we're riding in the car and I said, hey guys, I got a joke for you. And they're like, yes, okay, tell me the joke. I said, okay, what uh, do you call a macaroni that's pretending to be a spaghetti? And they're like, oh my gosh, I don't know, tell me. And I said, an impasta. <laughs> I know it's not that funny, I get it. but. But one of my kids starts belly laughing. Oh my God, impasta, that's so funny. And he's like, he, he okay, okay, I gave it away, I gave it away. <laughs> he's, like going, he's like going overboard with the laughing. And I start to realize, you have no idea. You don't understand why this is funny. And I don't know why, but I was just like, you think it's funny? Ah, oh, yeah, it's so funny. Can you explain to me why that's funny? And literally his face goes white. And he looks at me and he's like, uh, <laughs> I mean, be because 
Because like macaronis can't talk, you know? <laughs> and I said, you don't understand the joke. Why? You should ask me to tell you so you can understand. Don't just laugh. Don't just laugh. My, his twin, my daughter, is the complete opposite. If I say something that, she, that I think is funny, she will literally look me dead in the eyes and go, I don't think that's funny. I don't understand. That's Thomas. Lord, you say that we know the way. I gotta be honest. I do not know where you are going. I, I do not know the destination. And if I do not know the destination, how in the world am I ever going to get there? And Jesus replies, Thomas, listen, you do know the way. And let me just remind you, I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. No one gets to the father, Thomas. That's where we're going. That's our destination. Nobody gets there through me. I'm the way to get there. What's he teaching? He's saying, listen, disciples, the reason you're so worked up and worried and scared is not because you don't have what it takes to get through this present hardship. It's because your eyes have fallen away from the destination and the way to get there. And you're being consumed with the immediate worries of life rather than being propelled and motivated by the destination that is before you in this life. You're only afraid because you have forgotten about the destination and the way. You know, when life is scary and uncertain and, and challenging and, you know, it's like we're getting hit and blindsided by different things and we're trying to figure out which way to go. It's so easy to begin to take our eyes off that final destination that we know we're going towards. And we start grasping for truth and realities that can help us out right here in the moment. It's like me riding in a plane next to that lady or with my wife at 35,000 feet and we hit a bump and my wife grabs a hold of my shoulders. Why is she doing that? Because she's trying to find some comfort. She's trying to find some stability. She's trying to find some certainty, but there's a problem. If that plane's going down, she can hold on to me all she wants. I cannot save her. She's grabbing for something temporal. She's grabbing for something that cannot save her rather than calling out to the one who actually can save her. You know, very common thing when people get on planes is they like to take like a Xanax or down a little bit of vodka before they get on a plane, right? I wouldn't expose my wife that way, okay? I just wouldn't do it. I'm just kidding. She doesn't take Xanax or vodka. I'm just kidding. Sometimes I ask her to though. I'm like, could you please, could you? I would, my shoulder would appreciate it. But people do that, why? Why do they do it? Not because they believe that that would save them from a plane wreck but because they're looking for an immediate comfort and a way of escape during the present circumstance that they're in. And here's the problem. If that plane's going down, it's not gonna save them. It's just gonna numb them through the process. When our hearts get troubled and when we're thrown into confusion and when we're battling and facing these challenges in life, Sometimes we begin to bring our eyes off of that final prize, that final destination that we were so motivated in those easy times to get to. And we begin grasping at immediate momentary, fictitious counterfeit things because we're trying to satisfy some sort of need to have stability and comfort in this moment. We begin grabbing a hold of truths, quote unquote truths, not because we long to see the truth, but we long to have our assumptions confirmed. We long to have our fears validated. Not that we wanted our fears to be true, but it just helps us to not feel out of control because we've proven that our fears are right. 
and we begin grabbing onto quote unquote truths, or we begin grabbing and embracing lifestyles that we never would have considered uh, a month before, but here we are and we're just longing to feel some sort of fulfillment. We're longing to feel some sort of satisfaction. We want to feel something because we've become numb to all the things that are around us. So we start embracing these false lifestyles because we're just trying to feel something. Can I tell you, we can grasp at every false truth out there and we can embrace every kind of false lifestyle out there and we'll feel something and we'll feel secure for a moment, but there is only one way. There is only one truth. There is only one life. There is only one way to get to the Father and his name is Jesus Christ. But why, why do we grasp to these things that we know really aren't the answer? It's what happened in John chapter 14, verse one, when he said, your hearts are troubled. You've been thrown into confusion because your focus is on the trouble, not on the God of all things. Our focus is consumed with our struggling marriage. Our hearts are consumed with our boss that just won't give us a break. Our focus is consumed with all the crises in the world. Our attention is constantly being consumed by inflation and political unrest. And, and then we're turning and we're believing on and we're considering in earthly things like we're gonna turn on the news and suddenly they're gonna give us a solution. Or that suddenly our spouse is gonna have an epiphany that we've been right all along. <laughs> or that suddenly my boss is gonna come in one day, you know what, I was wrong, you're right, here's the promotion. Or we think that the next election is gonna bring us a government that can fix all of the problems. And, and we wonder why we're still so disappointed and still so defeated because our focus is on the trouble and our thoughts and our considerations are going on to earthly things. When if we could just lift our eyes out of the muck and the mire that we're in and we could get them on the Father who holds the whole world in his hands, the one who promised that he would work all things together for the good of those who love him. If we could put our eyes on Jesus, who is our intercessor, he's our deliverer, he's our savior, he's, our, he's, he's the one who sustains us. We recognize that his spirit comes in and indwells us. It's the very power of heaven on earth. He's our help, our present help. He's our guide. He's our confidant. He's the one who sustains us in every moment. Why is our heart so given to the tragedies of this world when God gave us a way to put our hearts on the one who sustains all life? Do you want your hearts to come out of confusion and into stability? Put your eyes and your attention and your consideration on God and on Jesus. When our view of the destination gets off, the way we take begins to become crooked. And there's only one way, there's only one truth, and there's only one life that leads to the destination. I wanna talk for about the destination just for a moment. The destination, everyone say, the Father. We need to focus on the Father. Believers specifically need to hear this. When we are in a present hardship, we are in it. We are walking through it. It is so important that we remember that this present circumstance is not our final destination. Let me say that again. This present pain, this present discouragement, this present despair is not the end. It is not our final destination. We are in this world for a time and hear me, I'm not somebody that's just got my eyes on the horizon because I believe that what we do in the time that we're here on earth matters to God. 
I believe we are called not just to have our eyes on heaven, but be stewards here in the earth and that it has long-term and eternal consequences. But we are ultimately not of this world. This is not our final destination. That's why Paul said, hey, when you face hardships, we don't grieve, we grieve, but we don't grieve like people who have no hope. Our hope is in God. And so we recognize that there's life beyond this. It is so cool. We have a destination that we can fix our eyes on. When everything has hit the fan and we don't know if we can go one more moment, we can look deep down and say, I know that this is not the end. I know that there is more to this. And what is the destination? It's this place that Jesus describes in John chapter 14. Look at this in verse one through three. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house, there is many rooms. And if it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and I prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself where I am, you may be also. It's important to notice that when Jesus is talking about the place that God has prepared for them, the place with the many rooms, some translations say mansions, he's actually not talking about these grand palatial estates that we will inhabit one day. Actually, what he's speaking to is he said, I have prepared a place and in these rooms, these are places where you will dwell reside and remain with my presence unbroken forever. And this is an important thing to understand when you begin to recognize what the plight and what the fear of the disciples actually were. Because the disciples, they were not fearful about the economy. They were not stressed about their government. They were not concerned with viruses and influences and mortgages and inflation. They were concerned about one thing, having their fellowship with Jesus interrupted. And so when Jesus replies saying that I have a place in it for you, I have a place of residence and a place of remaining, what he was saying is I am promising you right now that not even my death will interrupt our intimacy. Because Jesus's death wasn't just an exit from humanity, but a continuation of his work for humanity. When he promises to prepare a place for us, this is a promise to continue this work until we are forever and eternally united with him again. But in those trials, destinations become unclear. Thomas knew where they were going, but in this moment, I don't know where we're going. I don't know how to get there. I'm hurting, I'm confused. So Jesus says, let me make it so clear to you, Thomas. I know it's difficult and I know it's hard and this hardship is not over yet, but there is a place, there is a destination. This is not your final home. I have a place better for you. Can I tell you, friend, our destination is not retirement. Our destination is not financial security. Our destination is not to be married and have kids. Our destination is not a bigger house. It's not the next election. It's not the end of a pandemic. Our destination is communion with the Father. It's eternal relationship. It's the presence of Jesus. It's the very presence of God with you and me. There is more beyond this life. And if we're gonna make it, if we're gonna run our race, if we're gonna go all the way to the end with a, with, with a victory on our shoulders, it's because we have fixed our eyes on Jesus and not on our present troubles and present circumstances. The Father is the destination. And Jesus says, I have become the way for you to get there. Jesus said, I must go through the way of the cross that you would have a way to get to the Father. Because when you have a destination, you have a determined direction. Because when you know where you're going, you know you have to take the right way to get there. And that way is Jesus Christ. It's the only way. The Father is the goal. 
The Father is the reward. The Father is the destination. And Jesus in his great love says, but you can't get there without me, so I will become the way for you to get there. He said in verse six, I am the way. I am the truth and I am the life and no one comes to the Father but through me. It's only Jesus that can lead us to the truth about the Father. It's only Jesus that can give us the life that only God can provide. You could, you could translate that verse and read it like this, that I'm, I'm the way that reveals the truth about God and the way that brings life to, to, to the people. So when Thomas replies, like, I, I don't know where you're going and, and, and I don't know how to get there. I, I, what, I don't know what the way is. He sounds a lot like us. Because when hardships are coming, aren't we all the same way? We're always very concerned about the when, about the where, about the how. When's this gonna be over? Come on, two weeks, 15 days, <laughs> two years. When's it gonna be over? When, when's my marriage finally gonna get back to the way I wanted it to be? When's my boss finally gonna realize that, that I'm more than this? When are we finally gonna get beyond some of this division? When's the war gonna be over? When am I finally gonna be able to afford, you know, whatever it is, when, 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 how, where? Where's the provision gonna come from? Where's the deliverance going to enter? How, how is this breakthrough gonna happen? I believe it is, but how, how is America? We're so consumed with the when, so consumed with the where, so consumed with the how, all we gotta do is believe in the who. Ask me, ask, hey, how are we gonna make it through this? Jesus. Hey, hey, uh, wh where's our miracle gonna come from? Jesus. H how long are we gonna be in this present hardship? I don't know, but Jesus is gonna be with us all the way through it. He will be what we need him to be, where we need him to be, whenever we need him to be. He is, I am. I will be the water in the wasteland. I will be the food in the desert. I will be the cloud in the day. I will be the fire in the night. I'll be the salvation on the cross. I will be the way to my father, whatever you need, whenever you need me to be it, I will be that for you. It's not about the when or the where or the how, it's about the who. Jesus is the way, the truth and the life. He's the sole mediator of God and he's the only avenue there. Why is he the only way? Because he is the truth about God. I want to make a clear, a clear declaration. Jesus is the authoritative representative and the revealer of God. He embodies and he is the supreme revelation of who God is. You can say it like this. He narrates God all by himself. And you know, in this day, in this present time, there are a lot of theories about God. There's a lot of commentaries about God. There's a lot of conjecture. There's a lot of opinions. There's a lot of claims. There's a lot of people making their own own determinations about who God is based on their limited human experience. And I've just come to say, there is only one truth about God and it is Jesus Christ. There's only one. And anytime my truth comes in conflict with the truth in Jesus Christ, I must yield and come under his truth, no matter how I feel. Our personal revelation, our personal experience must never be elevated above the truth of Jesus Christ in God's word. He is the truth about God and Jesus is the life of God, the only way to life in God, both here on the earth and eternally with Christ. We're never gonna experience abundant life apart from Jesus Christ, you can't. He's the only way to it and he's the only way to the destination. He's the way, the truth, and the life. I wanna invite the, the, the band to come up here on the stage and we're gonna to begin to bring this to a, to a close. How do we get beyond these present hardships? 
How do we make it through to the other side? When we've tried to go around and when we've tried to go above and below, yet here we are in the middle of it. How do we sustain? How do we get to the other side? By not dwelling on our present circumstances, by lifting our eyes and putting them on our destination, who is the Father, by leaning in and trusting in Jesus, who is the way to the Father. So then comes the question, how do we take the way? If we're determined we want the Father and we wanna take Jesus, how do we take that way? Verse one, believe in God, believe also in me. There's only one way to take the road of Jesus. That's to believe in Jesus, to put your trust in Jesus and to surrender to Jesus. I hear people say, man, that sounds really exclusive. Doesn't the Bible say that God wants all people to go to heaven? Doesn't he want all people to be saved? Why, why, why is he so rigid on how to get there? It, it, it just sounds so, God doesn't seem very inclusive. He seems very exclusive. And I, I'll just make this statement. The gospel is exclusive in its terms, but it is inclusive into who it's available to. Let me say that again. The gospel is very exclusive in its terms, but it's very inclusive in terms of who it's made available to. I'm just as a word picture, if I were to tell you, hey, I want you to come to my house today for lunch. I wanna have you at my house. I would love to host you. And you say, great, I'd love to be there. I said, awesome. You're gonna get on Victoria. You're gonna go to the 101 and then you're gonna go, you need to go south. And they say, well, hold on a minute. I want to go north. Yeah, but my house is south. I know, but why are you trying to make me go south? Like, I want to go north. You can go north. You're just not gonna end up at my house. Are you, are you trying to tell me you don't want me at your house? No, I, I want you at my house. I'm, I'm telling you how to get to my house, but you're trying to make me go, because I want you at my house. Telling, telling us how to get to heaven is not exclusive, it's inclusive. Me wanting you at my house and telling you how to get there is not hatred. It's love. I'm saying, I want you to be there, but you can't get there by going north. You got to go south. It's the only way to get there. And can I tell you, if there was another way to get to the Father, Jesus would have found it. If there was some other way to get to heaven, to get to that place of eternal rest, to the other side of this present circumstance, Jesus would have found it. In fact, he tried to find another way because Jesus found himself facing hardship and facing turbulence and facing pain and facing turmoil. The Bible says that he was in the garden of Gethsemane praying and he was so overcome with grief and so overcome with turmoil about what he knew he was having to go through that he began to cry out to his father. And he said, God, if there is any other way for your people to be reconciled to you, I want to take it, I wanna go that route. Let this cup pass from me. However, if I am the only way, then let your will be done and not mine. He would have found another way, but there was no other way. So he became the only way so that we could be there with the Father. He took the hard road. He went through it. He couldn't go around it. He couldn't go above it. He couldn't go under it. He went right through it. And how? How did Jesus make it through? How did he stay faithful? How did he get to the other side? Because his eyes were fixed, not on the situation, but on the destination. His eyes were on the Father and his eyes were on you and me, knowing that he was the only way for us to get there. He's the only way, the only way. 
And so if you long to get to the Father, you long to get to the other side of this present hardship to find rest and peace eternally for your soul, the good news for you is that you can get there. But to be clear, it only comes through the way of Jesus Christ. I wanna have everyone stand to your feet this morning. We're gonna bring this to a close. I'd like you to bow your heads and close your eyes. He's the only way. He is the way to eternal life and he's the way to abundant life. You don't have to wait till heaven to experience the presence of Jesus. The Bible says when we confess with our mouth and we believe in our heart that he is Lord, that in that moment we are saved and the Holy Spirit takes up residence in us as the seal of our salvation. The Bible says that he becomes the ever-present help in time of need. The Bible says he becomes the perfect strength even within our weakness. Come on, he's the friend that holds us close. He's the one that stands up strong inside of us even when our spine is weak. He's the courage in the midst of the storm. He's the one that shuts the mouths of the lions when we're before them. He's the one that gives us favor even with our enemies. For those who put their trust in Jesus Christ, life is made available to you, not just in eternity, but here and now. But there's only one way to this life. There's only one way to have truth, and that is to accept and receive the gift of salvation that comes through Jesus Christ in Him alone. There's no other name in heaven and on earth that man will be saved by but Jesus. And so this morning, if you say, that's me, I want to receive Jesus. The Bible says that we receive by faith, meaning we make a choice to confess and believe in our heart that He is the one true God, that He is our Lord, that He is our Savior. If that's you this morning, I'm gonna give you one. I'm gonna count to three. I'm gonna ask you to raise your hand and I'm gonna pray with you and lead you in a prayer. And this will be the Romans chapter 10, verses nine and 10, the Romans nine and 10 declaration of salvation. You say, number one, that's me. I wanna be saved. I wanna receive the truth and the life of Jesus. Two, this is my moment. I'm ready to make a decision. Three, that's you right now. Lift your hand high and say, I wanna be saved. I want Jesus to be my savior and my Lord. Come on right now. If that's you, just lift your hand high. You can put it right back down. I just wanna know who I'm praying for. Let's pray together as a church today. Say, Jesus, I need you. I believe you're the only way. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins, paying the price for me, for raising from the dead and setting me free. In Jesus' mighty name we pray, amen. Come on, can we celebrate those who made a decision this morning, both here and online? Finally, this morning, I wanna pray for those who have troubled hearts. I wanna pray for those who have troubled hearts. Jesus didn't come into his disciples and just say, snap out of it. You're just being weak. No, 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 he was moved with compassion to help them out of their troubled state of mind and troubled hardships. And he began to speak truth over them that they might have a freedom on the inside of them. And so right now, if you'd say, hey, there's something in my life that's troubling my heart and my mind, would you just lift your hands high right now and I'm gonna begin to pray for you. And then we're gonna begin to worship and we're gonna begin to sing about the goodness of God. And, I, and I'm telling you, watch, it, watch your heart, watch your faith begin to rise as you meditate on the goodness of God. Come on right now, let's begin to pray. Lord, I just thank you that you are present right now in this time of need. God, I thank you that you are for us and that you are not against us. God, I thank you that you have made yourself known. God, I thank you that you are not gonna leave us or abandon us. God, I thank you that you are presently here right now to help us. And God, right now by faith, we lift our eyes above our problems. 
We lift our eyes away from our troubles and we put our eyes to the hills where our help comes from. Right now we walk away, we turn our eyes away from our present circumstance and we fix our eyes on the heavens. We fix our eyes on you, the Father. We put our eyes on you, Jesus. You are the way, the truth, and the life. And we believe, God, that through your power, through your grace, and through your mercy, that right now you will liberate us from this present torment. And God, we lead it to you and only you in Jesus' name. Come on, right now, let's begin to worship. We so appreciate you spending time with us. If you'd like to invest into what God is doing through City Church California, you can go to our website, citychurchca.com, and click Give. Thanks again, and we hope to see you at one of our campuses this Sunday.